Well, good morning, friends. This is podcast number 290 for Thursday, May 20th. I apologize in advance. I have a little um, something going on in my throat. I'm not sure, but uh, we're just going to steam ahead and continue to to, uh, to move forward. Again, this is podcast number 290 for May 20th, and I pray you're well. Jesus finishes up in Mark chapter 2, calling himself the Son of Man and says that he's the Son of Man the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, this Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14 is powerful because in this particular situation of the of the many times he calls himself the Son of Man, he, um, he is dealing from the prophetic. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, would have caught this. And so... He's in a very dangerous situation with them because they're looking for reasons to trap him. And so we go right into Mark chapter 3. Now remember when the Bible was written, these were these were letters. Uh, they didn't have numbers and verses. Um, the numbers and the verses were put in uh, to make it easier uh, for us to be able to 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 stop and to read. And, and that's why sometimes the thoughts seem to be a little bit a little bit um, cut off in, at times, but the, um, the, the, the ones who put the Bible together, many, many, many scholars who worked on putting these different versions together, um, they believed that these were the places that they were to be. So we go into uh, Mark chapter 3, and we see the story of a man with a withered hand. Now, this was a synagogue. It wasn't the temple. So this man with a withered hand would have never been uh, allowed to come into the temple. But since, remember, the synagogue were just uh, were groups of uh, places where they would come to read together and come to talk together um, this and pray together. This was not a temple where sacrifices were offered. And so that's why the man with a withered hand could be around. But it, it, it appears to me uh, that this is totally a plant. This is totally a situation where the Pharisees are testing him. Uh, the Pharisees are uh, trying to find something against him. So let's look at Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, it says, again, he entered the synagogue. Underline again, because that was the way that he would operate. He would go into the synagogues, uh, being perceived as a traveling rabbi. They would ask him to speak. And in this situation, um, a man was there with a withered hand. And they watch Jesus. Now, who are the they? Mark doesn't give us that because Mark is really more into the activity that Jesus was doing. But Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 and verse 7 tells us who the they are. So turn to Luke chapter 6. And uh, we have the same story. Let's read verses 6 and 7. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and, and was teaching. And a man was there with whose right hand was withered, a little more detailed than Mark, and the scribes and the Pharisees. So that's who um, were watching him. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might have a reason to accuse him. This is why it sounds like a plant. Um, the, the man with the withered hand could have been somebody that they were using. They could have offered him something in exchange. And... Um, because it sounds like they were there just to watch him so that they may find something to accuse him. And Jesus looked around. Uh, no, he asked, I'm sorry. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So the stage is set. 
Jesus could have picked another day to heal him. Jesus could have waited. Jesus could have said, here's my address, come by tomorrow. But he didn't because he wanted to he wanted to, to show um, everyone in there who the Pharisees and scribes really were, that they cared more about their tradition than they did about mankind. Uh, verse four, and he said to them, so he turns his attention. He has the man with the withered hand right in front of him. Luke says it's his right hand. Um, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, to, do good or do, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now listen, evil is out there every single day. Disease, heartache, pain. So if evil is out there every single day doing what it does, why in the world would it not be lawful for good to be done every day? single day. So he asked this question and they are silent. They are silent because they have no answer. They would have been trapped. Um, and he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Jesus didn't get angry with the regular people. Jesus didn't get angry at, uh, angry at their unbelief. Jesus didn't grieve over their unbelief. But Jesus had no time for this nonsense. In fact, write this uh, scripture down. I want you to look at it if you if you if you want to see how Jesus thought what Jesus thought of the hardness of the heart of the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. Um, this week, go to Matthew chapter twenty three and verses one through thirty five, and look at the seven woes that Jesus um, Jesus uh, um, uh, condemns the Pharisees and the scribes with. The seven woes. It's harsh language. Jesus, everybody talks about today, Jesus is love, 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 love. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 35. Jesus is very serious about people. He's very serious about ministry. He's very serious about um, holding to account and holding people's feet to the fire who say that they are ministers, who say that they are about the people, who say that they are loving and caring. So he says to the man, stretch out his hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. His hand was restored. Jesus ministers to them. In spite of what would come next, Jesus would continue to do what he came to do. He would continue to heal. He would continue to minister to those, the outcasts and the unforsaken. The Pharisees and the scribes had no concern for this man with a withered hand. None. Otherwise, they would have rejoiced when his hand was healed. I'm not making a judgment call. Look at the scripture for yourself and you tell me. They did not get excited when his hand was healed other than the fact that they were looking for a reason to trap Jesus. Verse six, they went out rejoicing. No, no. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Is that a big deal? Absolutely. Let's look at what um, uh, Wiersbe says here. So incensed were the Pharisees over what Jesus had done that they united with the Herodians and started making plans to arrest Jesus and to destroy him. The Herodians were not a religious party. The Pharisees wouldn't have had anything to do with these people. 
in normal uh, situations. The Herodians were a group of Jews who were sympathetic to King Herod and supported his rule. So they would have been like tax collectors in a sense. They would have been people who the Jews would have hated. Yet in this situation, they had a common enemy, so they had a common goal. Most of the Jews despised Herod and obeyed his laws reluctantly, so it was surprising that the Pharisees who were strict Jews would join themselves with these disloyal politicians. But it was a common enemy, Jesus, that brought the true groups together. In response to the healing, there wasn't rejoicing from the Pharisees or the Herodians. In response to the healing, there was a desire to destroy Jesus. Do you think that took Jesus by surprise? No, it did not. Let's continue on. Jesus withdrew, withdrew uh, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Imidia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, underline what he was doing, they came to him. Not what he was saying, but what he was doing. What were they interested in? They were interested in what he was doing. They were interested in the healings. They were interested in uh, the deliverances. This was, uh, to some, it was just kind of come and watch this and look what's going on. But to some, it was potentially uh, that Jesus was this revolutionary. This was dangerous for Jesus. We need to understand. We looked at it and we go, well, what great excitement. There were crowds following him. No, this was dangerous to Jesus because the Romans could have saw this as a, uh, saw him as a revolutionary and 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 messing with the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and they could have had him arrested. So everything that Jesus was doing had consequences. Everything that you and I do, do has consequences. So Jesus doesn't care about the consequences in the sense that he was so about his father's business. Verse 9 is interesting. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Not crush him to destroy him, but crush him because they so, so wanted to be close to him. They so wanted to get near to, to him, maybe to have their needs met, maybe just to see the show. I don't know. But the reality was that Jesus perceived this and said, have a boat ready. We will push away from the shore if necessary. Verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. People wanted to be healed by him. And like the woman with the issue of blood, they just wanted to touch him. They just wanted to touch him. They just wanted to 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 experience what many else, many others have experienced. And that is this healing of um, diseases and and deliverance and and again many were watching to see if this in, in if this indeed was a potential revolution against the uh, Romans and even against the Jewish religious leaders and there were some who were still wondering if this could possibly be the Messiah. Verse eleven. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, "You are the Son of God!" Isn't it amazing that the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't recognize him as the Son of God, but the demons did. The demon possessed it. Verse twelve. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He was still doing everything he could to keep many of the people silent because if they weren't, these crowds would continue to grow and follow and the Romans would have to do something. 
Then we get into the choosing of the apostles. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 6 again, because Luke adds a little more detail. Again, um, Mark's gospel was just about what Jesus did. It was, it was a list of things that he did. But Luke goes a little deeper. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verses 12, uh, looks like 12 through 15, 16. In these days, and this is right after the healing of the man with a withered hand, uh, just like in Mark. In these days, he went to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. So much was happening here that Jesus felt that he needed to get away and communicate with his father. But there was something um, even bigger that was coming than just the healings and the deliverances. Those were powerful and important. Verse 13, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named. Now, there were many disciples at this point. So Jesus goes up to uh, to the mountains and he prays. And in that time, he, with the Father and with the Spirit, select the 12 that would follow him. Verse 14, uh, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, uh, and James, the son of Al- Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and verse 16, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, do you think that Jesus was in all-night prayer, and, and, and he's in prayer with his father to select 12 disciples, and he misses on Judas? Well, 11 out of 12 isn't bad, right? No. Jesus knew. The Father knew. The Spirit knew that Judas would be the betrayer. In order to accomplish everything, according to uh, God's prophetic word, looking forward, there would be one who would betray him. And he would be a close friend, as Psalms tells us that Jesus was willing to pick even one who would ultimately betray him. There's a lot going on in Mark chapter 3. There's a lot of different pieces and moving pieces here. So Jesus goes up to the mountain and he spends time with his father in prayer. What do you do when you have big decisions to make? I know I don't always go someplace and pray. Sometimes I just write a few things down on a piece of paper, the good and the bad, and I kind of look them, look them over and I weigh them out. Maybe we should follow the example of Jesus and we have a situation that's coming, whether it's big or whether it's small. Each and every day presents needs, presents opportunities, presents decisions to be made, presents potential uh, tripping points in our life. We should maybe follow the, the teaching of Jesus here and the example of Jesus. Find a place, get away and pray. Let me pray for us. In Numbers chapter 6, 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.